You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Hello and welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about politics and pop culture. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hong. And we are your hosts of this politics and pop culture podcast, which is taking a little turn this month. Uh, Last December, we decided to switch things up a little bit, mainly because the year was a dumpster fire. And Mm -hmm. rather than do another month recounting sadness, we thought we would round up some of our favorite reading, watching, and listening items of the year, as well as some of our top politics and pop culture stories. And we actually love doing this episode so much that we decided to bring it back for a second year. So you are now all attendees of the second annual DTCPS Awards. Yeah. Very exciting. Very exciting. Yes. So like last year, we are also having a little drink to celebrate. Uh, Mm -hmm. We've decided to go for a festive theme yeah, uh, this year because we will be releasing this episode between Christmas and New Year's just to fill in that voidy time of your life, and we want to keep the festive spirit going. So, Michael, mm-hmm. what are you drinking today? I am drinking uh, cranberry and gin with a little mm-hmm. lemon. It's good. Mm-hmm. It's what was in the apartment. Sounds like a good use of materials. Mm-hmm. I am drinking something called a blizzard. It is... Let me just mm-hmm. rattle the ice cubes in the microphone. Oh, we'll give you a little ASMR. Oh, isn't that a lovely sound? Uh, my drink is a lovely reddish pink color with a lovely little bit of froth on top. And it has also cranberry, the ultimate festive fruit, I feel, mm-hmm. as well as some whiskey, some lemon, and some simple syrup for extra sweetness. So I also have some simple syrup in there. Okay, so we're essentially drinking the same drink, but yours has gin and mine has whiskey. Yes. Together we can combine and make the ultimate old man with our gin and whiskey. Yes. They just feel like old man drinks They really do. That's probably not accurate, but they really do. Um, So before we get into our awards, we thought we would share some of our personal highlights of the year. Micah, what have been some standout moments of a pretty confusing 2021 what was 2021 um i kind of feel like it didn't exist yeah it like i yeah it feels very circular here we are yet again debating what to do for christmas yeah and it's sort of like a the liminal space of years it just it's hopefully the midpoint well i don't even want to say midpoint of the pandemic but Hopefully that kind of awkward year in between. And then next year, we're really out of the woods. Yeah. One hopes. Um, what yeah. was the highlight? Um, I got to see many of my friends who I didn't get to see um, for all of 2020 or most of 2020. And that was lovely and fantastic. Um, I finished my master's. <gasps> That's an amazing one. That is a very good one. Um and have now been thrust into the world of not school. Um, so that's very exciting. That's like a really big achievement, Micah. I think that's that's enough for one year, right? I think that's enough. Yeah, I'm good. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. Um, I also had a good time seeing people. That was kind of my highlight as well. It was nice to get back and be able to go to a few parties, 
earlier on this year. It was nice to travel to some new places. I was able to go to Texas and visit my cousin. You were able to come here and visit me. Mm -hmm. Um, I was able to go on a family holiday to Michigan, which I'd never been to before. So that was great. And then by the time this episode comes out, I will be in Ireland with my family. And I'm very, very excited about that. So definitely some highlights in terms of a personal achievement. Probably finishing NaNoWriMo. I've Mm -hmm. kind of thought about it for many, many years. I think if you're kind of like a bookish teenager, you always know about NaNoWriMo, but I've never actually done it, despite having like written two very unpublished novels before. (laughs) The timing had just never lined up for me to do NaNo. And I did it this year and I really do feel very accomplished and it feels really, really good. So yeah, it's not a master's, but it'll do for now. (laughs) We both wrote long things. We both wrote an obscene number of words. You're right. Yes. Exactly. There you go. All Well, that's a nice little recap of our personal years. Let's get into the things we consumed this year. We're going to start with reading. And how this is going to go is I am going to nominate three books that I loved. And Micah is going to nominate three books that she loved. And together we are going to announce a winner. The winner being our joint favorite book of the year. Um, mm-hmm. I think we can kind of say for books, like we're, we're both very happy with this one. There might be some categories later on where it was kind of <laughs> just like a default that we'd both consume yes. the thing, but this is a good one. So to start you off, uh, my first nomination is House of Hollow by Crystal Sutherland, which I speak about very, very frequently. Uh, it's still personally my number one favorite book of the year because it's the one I really, really want to write one day. It is a YA horror mystery about three girls who disappeared for a month when they were children and have been a little strange ever since. And in the present, when this story takes place, the oldest sister goes missing again and the two younger ones have to find her. I really, really love this book because it had so much suspense and thrill to it, but it also was so, so beautifully written. There was this amazing focus on the senses, specifically smell, and that really, really stayed with me. And it's just a book that made me want to be a better writer. I actually, I felt like I was becoming a better writer just by reading it. So big props to House of Hollow and Crystal Sutherland for me. My second is a nonfiction book, the first of two nonfiction books I will be nominating. Uh, It is How to Break Up with Fast Fashion by Lauren Bravo, another book that I speak about a lot. And because it has kind of changed my life this year, definitely like the the most life-changing book that I've read this year. Uh, Because it's pretty much what the title says. It's a guide to breaking up with fast fashion. And I loved this one so much because it was very, very informative. And it really does tell you why fast fashion is bad and the impact that it has on people and the planet. But the tone of it isn't preachy or it's not all doom and gloom. It makes things like going thrifting or vintage shopping or learning how to mend your own clothes or learning how to make clothes feel fun and exciting and like a community building activity rather than some dire obligation that we have to do as like a second option to the goodness of fast fashion. It's just a really well-written and non-preachy guide. 
And then finally, I wanted to nominate Crying in H Mart by Michelle Zahner, one we have spoken about very recently. Uh, mm-hmm. But if you have missed recent episodes, it is Michelle Zahner of the band Japanese Breakfast memoir about losing her mother to cancer, as well as about her relationship with her Korean culture and her music career. And the book uses food to connect and bind all these elements together. Again, another stunningly written book that makes you feel so, so much. Uh, If you're in a good mental space, read it. And if you're ready for a cry, read it. It is just absolutely stunning. I'm sure you have thousands of people in your life, that's probably not even an exaggeration, Mm -hmm. recommending it to you right now. And you should listen to them. It took us a while, but once we got, like, once we finally picked it up, we could not put it down. My nominations. Um, these are books that you've also hear, heard me talk about on this here podcast. Um, my first is Detransition Baby by Tori Peters. And I would say so far it is my favorite fiction book of the year. I'm in the middle of listening to one, which I will tell you about in January, which might top it. We'll see. Um Detransition Baby is a book about transness, pregnancy, and motherhood. Um, it follows the life of the coming together of a cis woman, a trans woman, and a trans woman who has detransitioned um, and changes pronouns throughout the book. Um, and it's fantastic and really well written and maybe an acquired taste, um, but it's, I think, a theme that goes through a lot of my favorites is this discussion of like, what does it mean to be a woman in relation to having kids? Um, And I I just find that really fascinating. Um, And I loved it. It was great. Um, My second uh, nomination, also fiction, is Beautiful World, Where Are You? by Sally Rooney. The most anticipated book of the year. Yeah, (sighs) I just need to tell you, since we last spoke about this last episode, I have read Mm -hmm. it. I'm obsessed. It's fantastic. Um, it's about four Irish millennials who are navigating their relationships with each other and their place in the world. It's beautifully written. Um, makes you want to go to Ireland so bad. Um, I'm so homesick reading it. Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's unreal. It's fantastic. Um, so that one also, one that everyone's told you to read. And then my last one, um, same as Yasmin, is Crying in H Mart. I have, I don't think I've ever cried so hard while reading a book. Maybe close was when I was 13 and reading The Fault in Our Stars at two in the morning the night it came out. Um, Gus. Um, But this one felt like the writing is just kind of mind-blowingly good. It's like the fact that it's her first novel or fiction is just, or nonfiction is like in mind blowing, it's so good. The fact um, that she's also a very talented musician is also yeah. so infuriating. Like it's, it's mind blowing, and it just to me like circles around where I'm like, how do you get to be so good at so many things? Yeah. So if you like are in a nice place in between Christmas and New Year's, and you like listen to this podcast, have some spare time, want to spend a day reading, this is the book. Yeah, which is why it has won. It is our favorite book of 2021. We just adored Crying in H Mart so, so much and really, really hope that you can give it a read before the end of 2021 or into 2022 and really, really excited to see if Michelle writes more books soon. 
Mm -hmm. So with that, we move on to watching. Now we've decided to split watching into two categories this year. We have movies and we have TV. It felt a little unfair to compare them against each other. So Mm -hmm. we're going to do it this way. So I'll start off with my movies. My first one I'm going to nominate is Zola, which is the movie based on the Twitter thread where the titular Zola, who was a stripper, was convinced by a new friend to travel to Florida and earn some money only for things to get unbelievably hectic. And when I say unbelievably hectic, I mean unbelievably hectic. It's perhaps like not the most memorable or life-changing movie I've ever seen, but it was a real roller coaster while I was in the theater and it it looked really, really great too. My second nom is To All the Boys, Always and Forever. A podcast staple. It came to an mm-hmm. end. We have adored this series since it came out. We are tragic Noah Centineo stands. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, This one wasn't as good as the first movie. The first one, I think, just has the most special place in our heart. But Yeah, it does. I thought this chapter about Lara Jean preparing to go off to college was very, very sweet. And I really liked watching it with you, Micah, even if it was Mm -hmm. over Zoom. Um, It was a great tradition. So loved a bit of To All the Boys. Um, I also adored Mitchell's versus the Machines, which is an animated movie about a family road trip that gets interrupted by electronic devices coming to life and staging an uprising. This is actually my favorite movie I saw this year, <laughs> which is even sillier than it sounds because I do not like, like it kind of as a rule, animated or children's movies. Like I am not a Disney person like even when I was a child I did not want to watch animated movies about talking dogs or whatever Um, I am not the person who's going to see all these like new Disney movies they're putting out like I'm just it's just not my thing but this one absolutely blew me away with its hilarity and wittiness there's an amazing sequence with a giant Furby that like I still think about weekly And it really, really helped for me that the main character is voiced by Abby Jacobson from Broad City. It just kind of tied in so many things I love together. So they're my picks. How about yours, Micah? Um, My first first two are actually ones I saw at VIF, Vancouver International Film Festival. The first one is Bergman Island. It's about a married couple who are both filmmakers and they are spending the summer on an island where the famous director Bergman made many of his movies and they're staying like in his house. Um, and as the movie progresses, you see there's this the distinction between reality and fiction start to blend and you don't really know. As we see Chris's, who's the wife's, her script comes to life. Um and it does this in a really beautiful way. And it's so sincere. And um, yeah, I, I also about motherhood as she like has just had a kid and is thinking about like, how do I be a creative person in and of myself and also separate from my husband who is a very famous director. Um, very beautiful movie made me want to go to an island. My favorite movies are like, I want to go to this place, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, my second favorite one made me want to go to Norway real bad. Um, it's Worst Person in the World is by far my favorite movie of the year. Um, personally, it's a Norwegian film 
about a young woman named Julie who's trying to navigate um, feeling lost in both life and in love. And so it's about her, like, coming in and out of relationships and, like, trying to figure out what the hell she wants to do with her life, um, which felt really interesting. It was really honest. And the acting is just so good, and it's so upsetting that it's a foreign film, so she will not be nominated for an Oscar, because that rarely happens. Um, if she does, it would be fantastic. Um, and then my last movie, which I saw recently, is Come On, Come On. Um, and it, I would describe it as a movie that feels straight from the heart. Um, it's written directed by Mike Mills, who made 20th Century Woman. 20th Century Woman is about his mom. And like a bunch of women living in a house together. Um, is that the Greta has, Gerwig one? It has Greta in? Gerwig being Greta Gerwig. Right. Yeah. I think we've like spoken about this multiple times because I could never remember the name of the movie. Like I've seen yeah. it, but for some reason I just cannot remember that's what it's called. But that plot sounded similar when you said that. Yes. Um, so it stars Joaquin Phoenix um, and he plays a radio journalist who's like clearly somewhat styled after Ira Glass. Um, of this American life um, and he all of a sudden has to take care of his like 10 year old nephew while his sister is taking care of her husband who's going through a mental health crisis um, it's all in black and white and interspersed throughout the movie are these interviews with kids uh, across the country who talk about what the future will be like and in the movie, it's him, like, doing his radio journalism, but they're actually real kids. Like, they didn't hire actors. And when they were filming it, they, like, shot the scripted stuff and then would go and interview kids at the end of the day. Um, and I think it brings a real honesty to the movie that maybe it wouldn't have had if it was, like, all scripted. Um like crying in H Mart, it made me cry and laugh at the same time. It was just beautiful. Um, and because this this is one that we like weren't totally sure what our um, winner of the year was, um, we've chosen Come On, Come On because we have both seen it and enjoyed it. Um, but this we one is not it. it. It was we both it loved was a beautiful, it. a beautiful movie. I actually just saw it last weekend and. I loved the little boy just captured the like boy's fantastic. He's so good and he just captures like for me what children are for the first half of the movie I was like oh my gosh children are the most beautiful thing in the world I want a hundred he is like the mm -hmm. most adorable thing and then spoiler alert he runs away in that like bodega and i was like yeah. children are the devil they can do awful things to you like they just can like hurt you and be under your skin and be so thoughtless and foolish it's just infuriating but oh my gosh he is just so adorable he just has like the biggest eyes and he's just so so cute so fantastic I, actor too for such a young age yes he's so amazing it was a really great movie and i also really liked that the new york portions of it are set on the lower east side and it was really yeah. interesting to be like oh that's like the bridge that i cycle over when i want to go to my boyfriend's house or oh i think joaquin phoenix lives in the building next to an apartment i looked at when i was moving or like oh that's like the basketball course that i walk through and it's 
it's a fun like living in New York things where you can like mm-hmm. really really recognize spots. So big thumbs up from me. Yeah. What about TV? The good old TV. Well, we're living in the golden age of it, so I feel we like really we had are. a lot to choose from. Uh, my first choice was uh, White Lotus season one, which Micah, I believe you have just started. Yes, I've seen two episodes. It's great. Yeah, it's kind of surprising because it I, when you see it like on is it HBO or Hulu? It's on it's HBO. It kind of looks like a silly, frivolous kind of show. Like I, I know a few people who've been kind of like, oh, White Lotus, but it's like the show of the summer. It mm-hmm. the way I would describe it is like the ideal stand-in for Succession in the off season because it's about these super rich and obnoxious guests at a Hawaiian resort. But there's a hint in episode one that someone dies. So it just does this really good job of building and dropping suspense really frequently and making you both care and hate about these horrible rich people. It is so well written and so well acted. And Jake Lacey in particular is just perfectly punchable from start to finish. I'm sure you'll agree even just watching those first two episodes, my God. But yeah. Which is really Truly. funny because almost everything else I've seen him in, he's been absolutely darling. Like one of my favorite things that he's in is Obvious Child and he's just the sweetest, mm-hmm. nicest guy ever. And then to see him in this is really, really great, especially – because I think he's like objectively the worst character and they do set up in like the very first scene that he's not the one that dies. So you kind of spend the whole time being like, damn it, I wish it was him in the body bag. Like he freaking sucks. <laughs> so great, great show. Um, and I'll be interested to see how they do a season two in 2022. I believe they're going to go to like a different resort and uh, meet new horrible rich people there. So we'll see. Interesting. Yes. Uh, speaking of rich people, uh, this year for me has been the year of Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. Season mm. two came out this year and I have just been absolutely devouring it. So I'm like loving this particular franchise of Real Housewives because it has this religious element throughout that the others don't. It just adds like a really enticing layer to it so not just in the form of mormonism which is obviously very prevalent in utah but this season actually revolves around uh partially anyway some of the women thinking that another one in the group is running a cult at her church so like that's how (laughs) dramatic like this this show gets um another huge element um, and one that's like teased from the very first episode because it kind of like emerged in the news between seasons is that one of the housewives is arrested on federal charges for fraud, facing up to 30 years in prison. And cameras caught the police turning up to arrest her and raiding her house. So it makes Amazing. it pretty. Yeah, it it makes a pretty wild viewing. If you're like a Housewives fan, you know there was like a whole thing where uh, Teresa from Real Housewives of New Jersey, her and her husband were yeah. arrested and they ended up having to go to prison and he got deported and everything. But this is kind of like extra interesting because the cameras have caught it happening in real time. So very, very interesting. It's very interesting seeing the other Housewives' reaction to this. Uh, just extremely entertaining reality television and definitely something I would recommend. Um, but my final recommendation is 
Succession season three. <sighs> it finally came back. It did. And it was something. Um, we kind of like have spoken about this a little bit before we started recording, but it was just such an interesting season. Like I kind of didn't like both of us were saying we didn't really enjoy it as much as the other two until the very end. Um, mm-hmm. Because a lot of the times like the stakes didn't feel as urgent as they did in previous seasons. Like there was a big conflict that was sort of shown to be the like the center of the series and it kind of like deflated pretty soon um and it did take a lot of different turns to explore other elements like there's a bottle episode and there's like a lot of different location episodes but tom roman and kendall as characters and actors really carried this whole one for me like they Mm -hmm were just developed in such an interesting way they gave such superb performances um i watched the ending with a few people and that very last few seconds literally had us all screaming in excitement the payoff was just unreal on that they really i don't want to give too much away but they kind of like build something up all season you think that one character is gonna like make a big move and then they sort of like drop it and you're like oh there's no opportunity for that big move mm-hmm. to happen like guess that was a red herring but there's it was it's great not. yeah it's great oh how about you micah um my first one is how to with john wilson which is a documentary um and they haven't it hasn't finished airing but the first season is great, and the second season, great as well, so far. It's so um, funny, Micah. I've watched, so like, the funny. first two or three episodes. Three. Mm-hmm. I think there's three now. Oh, my gosh. The footage that that man gets is incredible. It's very impressive. So it's a documentary season, and it's, like, the story is told in a how-to form. So uh-huh. each there in season one, there's, like, how to make risotto or um, – which is an emotional episode. Which is an emotional episode. Yeah. Um, and then it's overcut with kind of like found footage almost of like just random people on the streets of New York. And he finds the like perfect clip to encapsulate the feeling he wants to um, give you. Like sometimes I, one is like, and sometimes you just feel like tangled inside about your emotions. And it's like a bunch of cables like tangled in this awful way. He makes like the craziest jokes. And like mm-hmm. you're kind of, you're looking at this weird visual and you're like, how is this going to be a joke? And then he just says the perfect line. And yes. like, it's, yeah, the footage that he gets as well. Like I think I've seen some crazy things in New York, but he sees like crazy things. Crazy shit. Yeah. Um the new season starts off with him making maybe what is one of the worst financial decisions I've ever witnessed in my life. Um where he tries to buy the home um he's living in from his landlord. Um, because she is, she's a very cute little old Italian lady, um, and she is moving to Las Vegas, <laughs> and she wants to sell him her home, but her home is in New York and costs nearly a million dollars. Um, and also, and spoiler just, alert, turns to crap at the end of the episode. Yes, um, it's fantastic. He knows how to construct a story so well. Um, my other, I like didn't watch enough TV this year. This is a very bad year TV wise. 
for me. Um, but one I did watch was Sex Education Season 3, um, which maybe wasn't as good as the previous seasons, but it definitely, like, faithfully continues what the series is trying to do. Um, the big plot element is that um, a new principal comes in and the, the school has been known as, like, the sex school because it's been in the news and, like, shenanigans has ensued and the new principal comes and tries to lay down the law. Um, and they introduce a few new characters, including a non-binary character. What I love about the show is that it makes you empathize with every character, regardless of whether they are a villain or not. And I think that's really well done. And given that it's a show for teenagers, like I think is like wonderful and perfect and great. And then obviously, you could tell from my excitement, Succession season three, just like my favorite thing. Um, I love watching show week to week. Like it's so good. TV week to week is fantastic. And I'm sad the internet really took that from us for a while. Um, Yeah, I feel like it's coming back. I got the same thing with the first two episodes of and just like that, the new Sex in the City reboot. Mm-hmm. Like, it was crazy to see everyone reacting to it with, like, just the limited information we had. Like, I don't want to spoil those episodes, but it literally affected the stock market. And it could not have if the whole season had just been dumped on us. Like, there was yes. some real discourse that emerged afterwards because uh we got to just watch the first two episodes so totally agree Megan. yeah and the internet's reaction to um the succession finale great fantastic so one of my favorite internet videos of all time was created oh we will link it in the show notes um because i've watched it like maybe six or seven times and i just think about it all the time micah shared it with me and it is like the best thing i've ever seen um also like i just think to like to give you an idea of just how like important the show is to like me and my friends i opened an l article when i was like i was just hungrily devouring like all succession content after Mm -hmm. watching that um that season finale so i opened an l article that was like we need to talk about the finale and i was like cool and you know how like articles put tweets in them yes Two of my friends had tweets in the article. Like, not Amazing. one, but two of my friends had tweets. So I, like, sent them the article, and I was like, your tweet is in here. And they were like, what? Um, so, I mean, they are, like, well-respected journalists, so it would make sense that other journalists would be following them and, like, finding their tweets. But mm-hmm. it was just very, very funny. So I think you can tell by, like, our excited yammering on that Succession Season 3 is – our show of the year um we're glad we're recording this right after the season finale came out because like that is like the hour of the year for me like that episode really oh yeah oof oof um okay moving on let's do music next micah um the things that we have listened to i'm gonna start with red taylor's version by taylor swift um obviously I will link to an episode in our show notes explaining, like, the full background of this. But basically, due to some bad circumstances slash bad man, Taylor Swift (laughs) has chosen to re-record the first five of her albums so that she owns, like, the complete right to the body of her work. 
And in November, she released her version of Red. And it was amazing and, like, took over the internet. Like, just so – I just, like, want – if anyone's, like, listening to this in, like, 2025 and you just need, like, remind yourself of how big this is, I feel like it kind of overshadowed Adele's album. Like, yes. sorry, Adele, but it really did. Also, I will be speaking about this later, but, like, Britney was freed from her conservatorship on the same weekend. But, like, I don't know. I still feel like this took over my <laughs> internet. Um, also, Gwyneth Paltrow did, like, a Instagram ask thing. And she very famously does not know anything that's going on. She has been shown in, like, videos asking who Tom Holland is, even though they're in a movie together. <laughs> She's had, like, directors be like, remember when you were in Spider-Man? She's like, I wasn't in Spider-Man. I don't know what you're talking about. She's, like, in the same ask, somebody said, are you watching the new Hawkeye show? And she went, no, what's that? Even though she is a member of the Marvel Universe. So she doesn't know anything about it. Somebody asked her, have you listened to Red Taylor's version? And she was like, what, do you think I live under a rock? Of course I have. So that's (laughs) how big... This woman who kind of does live under a rock has listened to it. That's how big Red is. So it was just the best. Taylor did so much press about it. She made like a a whole short film set to the 10-minute version of All Too Well, which is like the fan favorite song. Uh, She released new tracks with the likes of Chris Stapleton and Phoebe Bridgers. And then the whole internet piled on Jake Gyllenhaal Mm-hmm. for breaking her heart like 10 years ago and like harassing him to give her her red scarf back so it was a fun it was a fun time online and that album is just really really fun speaking of really fun and great albums jubilee by japanese breakfast who we've spoken about recently on this very episode uh, this album is actually Grammy nominated now. Mm-hmm. was kind of a mainstream breakthrough for Jay Brecky. There are like so many fun yet hauntingly beautiful songs on it. The first three, uh, Paprika, Be Sweet, and Kokomo, Indiana are personal faves of mine. But I think like what really cemented my love for this was hearing it live. It was a really, really fun concert to go to with like balloons flying out of the air and all my friends were there so it was a fun time loved that one and then i'm also gonna nominate sour by olivia rodrigo because how could i not 2021 has been the year of olivia this was just an amazing debut and an amazing breakup album for teen girls slash everyone else there's just like so much hurt and anger and heart broken and otherwise in it i just think it's it's a really great piece of work that like 17 year old who wrote it i think she's 18 now but she should be Mm -hmm. really freaking proud of herself she's extremely talented she should be um sure what are my music ones my music ones are controversial um do it micah yeah um one is daddy's home by saint vincent um people don't like this album it was nominated for a grammy though right i love this album it's against uh go. jubilee right yeah yeah and, like, um, the best alternative yes um it's very much a concept album which i think is why people didn't like it um she, it's very like character driven in its songwriting um 
it uh, does have uh, a very similar tune on it to a uh, Lord song. Surprisingly, not surprisingly, is not on our list of best music of the year. Oh, the Jack Antonoff um, Connect, right? The Jack Antonoff whole, Connect, yeah. yeah. What song um, is but, it that sounds similar? Um, God, I don't. It's Solar Power and um, oh, one of I cannot remember the names of any songs. Um, it's like the seventh track. That's okay. Um, I haven't listened to Daddy's Home, but Solar Power was just there you go. what yes. I wanted. It's the it's you. the chorus of Solar Power is the same as the chorus of a, a Saint Vincent album. Okay, I'm gonna listen um, to that straight away after we finish. Yes. <laughs> um. The Saint Inf- Vincent album, the song I prefer. Uh, <laughs> my other one, also controversial. I really like Starcross by Casey Musgraves. Um, that is controversial. It is. Um, I liked it as a divorce album, and I like Finding Yourself Again album. Um, I love Breadwinner. That's it's a, a fun time. song. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then my final. Uh, record is the same as Yasmin's It's Sour by Olivia Rodrigo. It's just like an insanely good debut. It's just crazy. Um, she's such a good lyricist. You can tell that she's like a Taylor Swift mega fan. For sure, yeah. Um, for sure. And the music is just so well written and fits perfectly with it and like takes you through every emotion you could possibly have in a breakup. Except I'd see we talked about this on the podcast before except for maturity which is what i think Starcrossed gives you um maturity isn't real it's not necessary <laughs> when you're writing a teenage breakup album no, um no. at all so that's fine um and so you can probably guess that our favorite album of the year is sour um unfortunately i don't think either of us will be going to the tour because it seems like that's impossible to get tickets for I know, and like I want the little girls to get the tickets, you know. But this was my God, job too. That will be so fun. I would love to be. I was gonna be like the elderly person at the tour, but like number one, I'm not that old, and number two, like I'm frequently mistaken for a child, so I don't think that it would stand out. But damn, Olivia, go off, girl! Like <laughs> this is your year. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, so listening, um, we have also split into two. So that was our music. We're now going to do podcasts because we do like to recommend some podcasts throughout the year. So I'm going to kick it off with Not Without My Sister, which I actually nominated last year when it was born. But they started a Patreon this June, and I really loved getting the extra content. So I thought it was really good to like give it an extra little mention. Also... They've had um, big developments in their lives. So last year, the podcast came about because um, so it's a podcast with two sisters. The younger sister just moved from Ireland to Indiana, where the older sister was already living. And the that kind of first year was about them sort of like rekindling their relationship because they have quite a big age gap, like 10 or 11 years, and they've always lived um, – you know, in different countries, especially since like the younger sister has been an adult. So this was like really exciting because they were both living in like the same town for the first time in forever. But this year, um, the youngest sister got married and moved house and had a baby. So it was, yeah, it was a very exciting um, year for 
the family and uh, for fans of the podcast. And I think now they have like their parents have been able to come over from Ireland because that was not allowed forever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they get to like meet the baby and stuff and it's all very exciting. So it's just been like a nice family story to follow along to um, and very, very funny. It's been funny like hearing the Irish sense of humor, which is quite like sarcastic and cutting and I've like played episodes to my boyfriend. He's like, oh my gosh, that was like so harsh what she said. And I'm like, no, no, that's just like <laughs> I Irish sense of humor is like a lot more um maybe edgy than the American sense of humor, which is very like earnest and sincere. Um so it's a fun it, it's just fun to listen to people going through the same kind of like clash of cultures as you are because they are also Irish people in America. Second podcast I want to recommend is How to Win Nano, a writing podcast. This is like obviously very niche, but it was a lifesaver when I was doing NaNoWriMo in November. Um, Not just because like it gave information, but because it was like just a motivator and like a companion to hear about other people doing it. So this one is hosted by Liz Leo and Christina Horner, who have both won nano like an obscene number of times and are happy to share all their advice and it was cool that christina horner was hosting this because Mm -hmm. i did not know anything about her but micah you did and we kind of bonded over this yeah she's used to be a youtuber and now is not anymore but it unearthed like so much information that was stored in the back of my head um from when i was a religious youtube watcher there was definitely a moment where she mentioned something about the YouTuber life or there was some reason why I mentioned you and was like, I sorry, messaged you. And I was like, do you know who this person is? And you were like, Oh, and gave me like her entire Wikipedia page just off the top of your head. <laughs> it was very impressive. Yeah. Um, So my final podcast love of the year is life skills, which was an audible exclusive podcast by rookie, which was of course the online teen magazine uh, created by child fashion blogger turned writer and editor turned actress Tavi Gevinson. This was like a staple for me growing up. I read Rookie religiously, but it folded in 2018, which was quite sad. Um, and in 2021, we got to see one of the columns, Life Skills, uh, get a new lease of life as a podcast. And it was basically like a limited series where a lot of compassionate, knowledgeable sources came together and discussed topics like how to manage uncertainty, that was specifically in relation to climate change, how to break up with a friend. Um, There was ones about like creativity, about making your life feel a little bit more fabulous. It was just a really fun and very informative podcast and one that like really took me back to my teen years. As I said, Rookie was a big deal for me and a very formative thing for me when I was a teenager. It was actually how I found out about things like Buffy and Twin Peaks. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm, like, notoriously still obsessed with those now. So um, (laughs) definitely important for me. How about you, Micah? What podcast did you like? Um, I have a a crazy diversity of podcasts to tell you about. Um, Give it to me. My first one is Canada Land. So – if you are not Canadian, you might not know that um, the Canadian media is dominated by, like, two companies. They own everything. 
um, one of them just released a series about how wonderful capitalism is. <gasps> this is the state of Canadian media. Canada Land is trying to combat that. So Canada Land, a com- the company and news organization, is um, hosts a bunch of different podcasts, and then they have the podcast, which is the Canada Land podcast, which is media criticism. So it's Ooh. very it's like media within media. Um, and every week they talk to a Canadian journalist about how the media is covering a, the most the top news story of the week. Um, it's fascinating. It's so interesting to hear journalists talk about the ethics and practice of journalism um, and talk about like the fact that journalists, are fallible like they make mistakes and they're telling stories even if they're trying like they're supposed to be reporting the truth um i love all of their podcasts um i recently started supporting them because it would be lovely to have more independent media in canada so love that really interesting um (laughs) my second one completely different chatty broads with becca and jess which i think yaz talked about eons ago um, I used to listen to this. I've kind of like unst out of the Bachelor space. Like number one, because yeah. I moved here, and I was like, the U.S. Bachelor is not as good as the Australian one. Like the Australian one frequently has scandals where like somebody has called somebody else like the c word, and there's a drama over that. And I just realized the U.S. one was never going to get as no. crazy as that. And even the Australian one has like completely waned in popularity over the years. So. Yeah, I haven't listened to this. I don't think I've listened to this in 2021. How has it been this year, Micah? It's mostly been my outlet for Bachelor, Bachelorette stuff, which um, is a thing that keeps me not sane. Like, I just enjoy having something that's completely checks me out of the world. And you can be deeply invested in, but it has zero importance. Mm -hmm. Um, And so every week they recap The Bachelor or Bachelorette, and then the other episode of the week they talk about their life stuff. Sometimes they have interesting hosts on. They did a really cool Thanksgiving episode this year, which I think was a rerun about where they talked to um, Native American, to Native American women about the history of Thanksgiving. Um, It's really interesting to, like, hear about their lives and – like, I think Becca's on this, like, journey of trying uh, – not journey, but I think the way they talk about things is really interesting and is a perspective that, like, I do not have because I did not grow up in L.A. Um, Wait, so what is this? Because I've kind of followed Becca before. So what what's, like, the I guess perspective like, or the journey? They're, like, they're kind of hippie-ish, but they're also, like – attempting to be progressive which they are often but it doesn't come from like in my from my perspective a lot of that comes from an academic setting but this does not um and so I think it's they talk a lot about like mom guilt because they're both young mothers for LA standards and um they talk a lot about like how to like live good and healthy relationships um and it's very casual and interesting and it's kind of just like listening to two people like sort out the world together but also like then talk about like drinking too much and having like dumb fights and stuff like that so right okay so it's like this kind of 
growing and evolving, but not in an academic setting. It's yeah, right. Interesting. Um, I I don't know. It's just something like I would not. It's not the space I like consume media in most of the time, mm-hmm. which I like. Um, it contrasts with like my last podcast, which is doing it with Hannah Witten. I've watched some of her YouTube thing. videos before. Her YouTube videos are great. She's one of the original like sex education YouTubers. Yeah. Um, and often she talks about the same things as the Chatty Broads, like um, polyamory and um, like motherhood and stuff like that. But she has um, guests on who are experts in that field. And she – sometimes – she like is not the best interviewer and that like is frustrating um, what do you mean by not the best interviewer like, she doesn't ask good over? questions oh okay um or you're like you're like this is a or she asks too many questions in a row and doesn't give them oh. time to like consider one yeah that's like okay my pet peeves about interviewers when they ask like three questions in a row like they're just like how do you feel about this and then how did that make you do this and then how did that make you do why and then the person can never answer all of them they just no. do one or exactly. there's like another podcast i listened to where i had to cut it out of my rotation because they would bring guests on and ask them a question but kind of use the question as a way to just talk about themselves like they'd be like yes how did you feel about this because when this happened to me i and it went on forever and it just was not not good interviewing. Yeah. But um we like most Hannah, of the time, though, right? We like Hannah a lot and yeah. her interviews are best when she's not interviewing her friend. Um oh. which is funny. Um my favorite episode this year was an interview with an abortion doula, which is something I'd never heard of before. Hmm. But like so a doula is someone who helps someone through um a difficult time. Originally it's like giving birth but death doulas are like becoming increasingly popular so someone who helps you through the the dying process an abortion doula is someone who helps someone through an abortion and like the decision making but then also the um, emotional fallout if there is any um sometimes there isn't it's just a medical procedure um i loved that conversation i thought it was really nuanced and interesting um and like an interesting contrast to um so crisis pregnancy centers are like the anti-abortion response to women getting abortions and they like cancel women out of getting an abortion and so i think it's really wonderful to have a person who cancels women through whatever decision they choose to make regardless of what that decision is and like is there to support them very cool job i want to learn more and so i would recommend this podcast to hear about so similar a question on that so hannah is Mm -hmm. british right yes is it is stuff like because i imagine that gets like quite political and about specific like laws or or things that or like you know services people have access to is it still relevant to an international audience it's pretty i think it depends on the episode it's like quite british focused it depends on the guest. She recently had a guest who is a sex educator in New York. Oh, okay. Um, and she talked about – the episode was about um, how to teach kids about, um, like, have having full and clear sex education that's well-rounded. Um, it really depends on the episode. Um, and I think she tries to balance the fact that, like, not all of her listeners are from the UK. Right. Well, that yeah. is good to it's, know, Micah. Yeah, it's more balanced than her videos, which are very 
British focused. Right. Like I was just thinking with something like sex education, I think a lot of the times they refer to like resources and services that would not mm-hmm. be available to international audiences. So interesting. But thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you can see, we have a lot of things to say about the different podcasts. Um, and we do have like some interest and very, very slight overlap. Uh, but since there isn't anything that we've both consistently listened to and like consistently loved, we have decided that there can only be one real winner for podcast of the year 2021. And that is different things can be sad. We are the winners. We have we consistently are. listened to this podcast and consistently loved what we do. So <laughs> it's us. We win. We win. Oh, we do. Welcome to politics. Like last year, I will be talking about three of the biggest political moments of the year. Um, what a year in politics. I had a really hard time choosing, and I decided to choose my three top politics moments. I'm very sorry. These are all incredibly upsetting. <laughs> Welcome to politics in 2021. Um, I'll talk a little bit about why they're my politics moments. So the first one, getting right into it, is the beginning of the end of Roe v. Wade in America. Um, if you did not know, my thesis this year was about abortion politics in America. And so this one uh, hit home as I was writing the end while this was happening. Um, so in the latter half of the year, the anti-abortion movement in the U.S. has made huge inroads. You've probably all heard about this. What is Roe v. Wade? It's the um, decision in um, from 1973 that essentially states that pregnant people should have access to abortion up to 24 weeks into pregnancy, which is your second trimester. Um, ever since Roe v. Wade, not before, very hip- important historical fact, the anti-abortion movement has been trying to limit access to abortion and have become uh, successful in different ways throughout time. Um, they've been very successful, for example, in putting in what are called targeted regulation of abortion providers or trap laws, which limit the amount of abortion clinics available. Um But in September of this year, Texas brought in a law that bans abortion as soon as you can detect a fetal heartbeat, which is around six weeks. Um, Six weeks is measured from your last period, which means, and most people don't know if they're pregnant until they miss a period. So that means that a lot of people will not know that they're pregnant um, before the six weeks are up. Right. Or like, even if you did, like if you, if your periods are like very, very regular and you're like, okay, week four, I have not got this. Like. You only have two weeks. Yeah. The scramble to get an appointment in that time. Um, But then it got worse because, so Roe v. Wade is based on this idea that, and it's all very gendered, that a woman has a, and, and her doctor has a right to privacy from the state. Um, But it's only in relation to the state. So what the Texans did, very sneaky, um, very evil, very smart, 
um, was put the enforcement of this not in the hands of the state, but in the hands of private citizens. So that means that if you are connected to providing an abortion past six weeks, you can be sued by anyone, not anyone in the States, not even just in Texas. Um, so that means like a doctor, the Uber driver who drove the person to the abortion clinic. Um, it's And then they constructed this law in a very technical manner so that it would be really hard to challenge in a court because you wouldn't know who to challenge. It's very smart legal tactics. Sorry, I'm like um, processing this on the other end. I that's awful. Yeah, um, that's really bad. Like just in layman's terms, like that's very bad. Yes. So in the ensuing months, the Supreme Court of the U.S., which um, since the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg has been a majority conservative. Um, six of nine justices. Um, they've refused to take action um, on this law, despite the fact that it blatantly defies Roe v. Wade. Um, and so they normally would, normally, they, they would have had the chance to step in and strike this down. They didn't. Um, in the last couple days, they've decided that um, you can sue which was unclear given how the law was structured, but they didn't say anything about Roe v. Wade. Um, to make matters worse, Mississippi has had this law um, that's been working its way up the courts since 2020 um, that bans abortion at 15 weeks, um, which is very different than 24. Um, and the oral arguments for that started in December and they do not look promising whatsoever. Um, Promising Basically, in what way? Like that they could so succeed with this? It looks like Roe v. Wade will be overturned. Um, unclear, but basically Sorry, what happens when you say Roe v. Wade overturned, do you mean federally or in Mississippi? Federally. Oh. Sorry, um, so that, that would mean that. that an explicit no, no worries. This is a swearing situation. Um, that would mean that there is no constitutional guarantee that you can. You have privacy from your government to seek an abortion before 24 weeks. Um, and that wouldn't mean abortion is illegal all over the states because certain states like uh, California has decided it will be a sanctuary state for people who want to come seek an abortion. New York, abortion is legal. But in many, many states, there is a there are trigger laws that if Roe v. Wade is overturned, immediately abortion will be illegal. But isn't that like crazy? Because I remember when I was in austin earlier this year mm -hmm. so many people there were trying to convince me to move to austin and i was like austin yeah. sounds great but i could move to texas and have like my rights taken away like it is it is weird to like just think about how that affects so much yeah like i would just not live um, in texas now mm -hmm. i think it's like it's a deeply like, at the end of the day, I think there's this nuance of, like, well, you could move to Texas and still be able to fly to New York and have an abortion. Like Right. Like, I do feel like me truly, wanting to yeah. maybe move to Texas is the least of these problems. But, like, for the majority of people on an everyday level, like, that is kind of an interesting thing to think about. How, like, yeah. even – especially because, like, 
cities like Austin herald themselves as like the blue city and like the red state and like you can live here and like it's fine everyone's like we're all chill like everyone's accepted it's all cool but it's like legally no that's not the case like legally there are issues and this like yeah to me is like one of the first instances of like seeing that seeing that Mm -hmm. you can go to parts of the country and you were in a real freaking pickle Hello, editing Micah here. I just wanted to clarify that what I meant was if Yasmin or I were to move to Texas, we could always leave the state because we are very privileged people who not only have uh, access to money, but also access to uh, passports where we could go to a different country. Unlike many, many people who don't have the money or privilege to be able to leave Texas uh, to seek an abortion if they needed one. This is what I meant privilege affects your access to rights the end let's continue yeah it's a lot um it gets much worse there are sirens in the background which um encapsulate my feelings about all of this that feels fair it feels Um, fair that there's sirens yeah um mostly because it kind of there have been so abortion is like a very small part of reproductive rights and um, the eroding of one reproductive right um, does not forbear well the eroding of others. And there's already been cases in the States where people have been arrested and jailed um, for having a miscarriage. Um, what? So if, if it's deemed to be your fault for having the miscarriage, there have been women who have been jailed for this. Um, which is a natural extension of you can't have an abortion because fetuses are people. Um, it's all very scary, and I've been wanting to talk about it on the podcast for a while, but it's always changing. Um, unfortunately, we won't know about, like, the true status of Roe v. Wade until June of 2022 because it takes six months for decisions to be made at the U.S. Supreme Court. Um... But it's not great. Uh, no, this, this is This has like, been my brain. I'm sorry. I feel like I've been selfish mm-hmm. like making this about me if I want to move to Texas one day. I do not even want to do that. Mm-hmm. I am just like – it is hard for me like even just sitting in this room with like no like plan to get an abortion to just like – I'm just starting to like comprehend how significant this is for like literally everyone. Like this just affects so much, mm-hmm. right? It's not just like – if you plan to have an abortion in the state of Texas, it's like a lot. Yeah. If you plan to potentially ever get pregnant and even want to keep the child, it could like be very bad. There's a really fantastic um, segment on this week's This American Life, which is a interview with a evangelical woman who um, gets pregnant and then her, um, baby has a fetal abnormality and in most cases you would doctors recommend you get an abortion so you don't have to carry a baby to term that will end up dying yeah um or probably not even be born alive um and she chooses because of her belief in the right to life to carry a baby this baby to term um it's a really sad episode but it really gets into the nitty-gritty of like her her change her views on abortion change throughout the like the story um and i'm sure but like the nuances of that are 
ever changing. I think this is why, like, as I have been writing my thesis throughout this year about this, I've been really attracted to media about motherhood and what it means to be a mother and um, or not be one. Yeah, um, it is. As that, like, becomes a reality for many people, sometimes against their will. Um, it's, yeah, 2021. Who knew it would top 2020? Um, yeah. Let's continue on. <laughs> on all levels, this year has maybe been more wild than the last year. Yeah. Um, to continue on, uh, we'll do, we, we talked about this a lot because it's also been top of my brain, um, is climate change. Mm-hmm. I think it became front and center this year. Um, personally, like, obviously, I have ever since I was a young child known that climate change was a thing. Um, but uh, where I live in British Columbia, climate change has become um, really clear as we've had like deadly heat waves, a fire season, and then deadly mudslides and rain all within the same calendar year, which are like very clearly caused by climate change. Um, And so in our September episode, we talked about the IEPCC report, which is a report on climate change that was released this summer and said that like climate change is here. We can do something about it, but we have to do something about it. And then in our October episode, I talked about the climate um, hunger strikers. Um, That climate bill did not really go through in the U.S., um, but part of that was that Biden was going to COP26, which was the U.N. climate conference in Glasgow. It started out kind of promising, but ended up like one of their most wishy-washy conclusions. They really didn't meet um, what the IP... IPCC report, IPCC report, um, asked of them, it was not a great time for climate policy in a year where climate change feels like right at our doors, at least in my life. Uh, I'm so sorry to do this to you in our Christmas episode. Um, um, just as like a little... If there's anything that can kind of sweeten this, it will be something that we spoke about earlier on, which is a beautiful world. Where mm-hmm. are you? Did you feel that was quite hopeful in terms of things like? Yeah, it did. Right? So if you listen to this segment and you're like, oh, no, what was that <laughs> um, Read the Sally Rooney book we recommended before because I'm trying to like listen to passages in my head as, yes. as we're discussing this. I, like, want to pick up the book again immediately, and I read it, like, two months ago. That so. was, like, a smart person with a, a hopeful perspective. So Yes. There's something I really to temper this, but I do feel what you're saying now, Micah, is definitely uh, necessary. So let's, yeah. Yes. Um, and then my final one is um, the same story but continued from last year. It's the um, um, Wet'suwet'en protests in Canada. So that was um, last year, like the biggest Canadian news story before COVID. Um, If you don't remember, the Wet'suwet'en are a First Nation in northern BC. Um, They're trying to stop a pipeline from coming through their territory that they have not consented to. Um, And it has just become a shit show since then. Um, The RCMP, our national police force, has increasingly been using violent tactics to remove land defenders. Um, And then in 
late November, journalists Amber Bracken and Michael Toledneo were arrested along with 27 land defenders while covering the story. Which is um, a no-go because you're not supposed to arrest journalists. And it's a huge violation of freedom of the press. Um, They vocally stated that they were um, journalists. The RCMP acknowledged that they were journalists. But they were arrested for five days um, with very little communication to the outside world. Held in what seems to be really horrible conditions. Um, And... uh, yeah, it was not great. The So one of the journalists was Amber Bracken is from the Walrus. She was um, writing a piece for them, and the Walrus is, like, independent. They supported her. Michael Taldanea was making a documentary, which I'm now very excited to watch. Mm. Um, he was um, there on assignment from the CBC, which was is our, like, national. It's kind of like the BBC in Canada. Um, they refused to really uh, claim him as their own. Um, Canadian politics. So journalistic freedoms under threat in Canada, also in the world. Uh, <laughs> a continuation of like many years ago, we talked about the Jamal Khashoggi um, Just murders about by that. the Saudis. Literally when you said that, yeah. I was like, we did an episode on that. Um. So that's been an ongoing saga in um, politics. I realize a lot of these are like end of year things, but that's what's been on the brain. Um, those are my three top politics moments for me. You could tell us on our podcast what your three top politics moments are, because I feel like they're different for everyone. Yeah, that's the thing, right? I... I'm about to discuss our pop culture ones and I felt that especially in like an internet age everything is so like segmented like we're not all getting the same story or the same experience anymore and like the things mm-hmm. that affect you like because of either where you live or like your interest levels um are so different so mm-hmm. it's yeah it it's it's interesting to try and parse out what are the the top three of the whole year but I really appreciate those as like yours Micah and I feel like those have like come through in the podcast over the past year it was like things that you're Mm -hmm. concerned about so thank you I have learned a lot even just from this like recap so I really appreciate it So, for the pop culture segment this month, I thought we would go a little fluffier, you know, different things can be sad and mad and glad and happy and they're all, they're all allowed. So, I'm going to kick it off with my, my personal celebrity couple of the year and I felt it was important to nominate a celebrity couple as one of my top three moments because this has really been the year of like crazy celebrity couples last episode we spoke a lot about kim and pete but we also mentioned couples like benifer we mentioned harry styles and olivia wilde there was of course paul mezcal and phoebe bridgers my personal couple idol Mm -hmm. goals um but i'm gonna nominate for the 2021 couple of the year john mulaney and olivia munn um 
because this story had like a lot of layers to it you know it was a huge shock to fans when it emerged that comedian John Mulaney and his wife Anna Marie Tendler were divorcing it was an even bigger shock when shortly afterwards <laughs> it looked like he might be dating actress Olivia Munn because they were eating in and out together and then it was an even bigger shock in September when we found out they were expecting a baby together um also, like, this whole thing had a huge, like, online debate around it. There was discussion about whether people have a parasocial relationship with John Mulaney, whether they have a parasocial relationship with the word parasocial. But for me, like, the thing most that I took away about this story in 2021 is that, like, number one, celebrities will date each other. And, like, even if you don't think they have a connect, they have a connect. Like, celebrities yes. are their own industry regardless of industry and like they have connections and they will date each other but also where there's smoke there's fire so i'm not suggesting that we all take like daily mail and tmz and anonymous sources as bible but when i see a picture of two people laughing and enjoying like animal style fries together they are probably dating. Like, I think... Or, like, on a roller coaster. They're probably dating. Exactly. If two people are on a roller coaster together, holding hands, they're probably dating. Like, I think I have learned from this is I'm going to take... I'm going to take the leap more often because I feel like the more cautious part of my brain is, like, they haven't said anything. They haven't confirmed it. They're just eating fries together. But, no. Like... If I were applying this to my real life, if I'm holding hands with someone on a roller coaster, like, we're dating. So mm -hmm. that's that's what I am taking from this story. Uh, I feel like the baby is probably coming soon as well. So I'm very excited to see what happens there. Um, and I wish them well. I'm excited about the baby. Um, number two, as I mentioned a little bit earlier, Free Britney, which is one of the yeah. happier moments of the year. Um, so if you don't know, the Free Britney movement was an attempt to grant singer Britney Spears autonomy um, from the quite worrying conservatorship she had been in since 2008. I think quite worrying is probably a light term. Like listening to the statements that she gave in court about how she had to have an IUD in against her will and she wasn't allowed to like decide when she would have or if she could have children um was honestly like harrowing just to listen to i can't imagine living mm -hmm. it um but over the past few years pressure has been growing uh from celebrities from podcasts from publications from twitter from you name it for britney to be released from this conservatorship which her dad was the conservator of and which other members of her family had a party in um, in September 2021, her dad filed to end the conservatorship, and it finally came into effect this November. We will link to the episode about conservatorships in the show notes so you can learn about Britney's conservatorship and conservatorships in general. But I think this was like a really positive thing that happened this year. Mm -hmm. And I also... Like I was listening to Not Without My Sister today, an old episode on Patreon, and they were actually talking about this. And they raised a really interesting point of like this idea of conservatorships. So much of it is about money, right? Like if Britney didn't yeah. have money, how much would have anyone cared about like 
looking after her, which is the pretense of these incredibly restrictive conservatorships. Like, I'm going to guess not a lot, but she had a lot of money and could make a lot of money. So it was, mm-hmm. you know, as you said, uh, Micah, she did like the circus tour and she did her whole Vegas residency, yeah. right? Under conservatorship. It's Yeah, she did. Oh, it's crazy. So that was like a really interesting point that I kind of hadn't considered before that like so much of this is about money and power and it's disguised as goodwill and there's better ways that people can uh, get the care they need, which Brittany has acknowledged that she like wants to keep continuing doing therapy. And like I remember in our episode, Micah, you discussed like ways that people could um, get help that doesn't involve having someone else make every decision in their life. So mm-hmm. Definitely a a highlight of the year, Brittany getting freed for sure. Finally, I am going to (laughs) say, Mike is already laughing. We have a little Google Doc where we share this information on. But, oh, my pop culture people of the year are Brooklyn and Bailey McKnight. Like, this is incredibly niche and, like, maybe a joke, but I had to do it. Um 2021 was the year Micah and I realized that we had been following the same 21-year-old Texan influencers for quite a while. And Mm -hmm. I actually had the same realization with a bunch of other friends. Like I got very into these two influencers and kept bringing them up at parties and people will be like, oh, I also follow them. And it's just like very, very, very fun. Um, so Brooklyn and Bailey, if you don't know, are twins. They're 21. They're from Texas, as we mentioned. Um, but they originated from a family blog called Cute Girls Hairstyles, which was like a very mm-hmm. early YouTube uh, vlog series by their mom, Mindy McKnight, where she would um, just do like hairstyles on them and show parents how to like do cute braids in your kid's hair before school um and from there like they have grown up and they have founded their own channel brooklyn and bailey um i actually found them last year through a substack article which was actually about them catching covid when they went back to college and this was like kind of interesting to the author because Brooklyn and Bailey were paid influencers for Baylor University. So they went to Baylor Mm -hmm. and they influenced for Baylor. So they would like post about how great the school was and like how it was a cool place that people should go to. But then obviously they went back to school in 2020 and called COVID. And the article was kind of like bringing up serious questions about COVID safety in schools and like the responsibility of influencers in these very strange times you know like we were seeing a lot of influencers go on like vacation but like what kind of social responsibility do they have there um but I kind of just started to like ironically follow them but then genuinely got super into them and yes I was glad I did because they've had a really big 2021 um Bailey got engaged with a sponsored engagement ring to her boyfriend, Asa. Um, They have been dating for quite a while, and he is actually a relative. Since high school. Since high school, yeah. I mean, like, I didn't say a lot because they were, like, 21. Well, she was 21. He was 20. Um, But, um, yes, they got engaged, and he is a relative of the Duck Dynasty family um, and is also still in college. 
they also got married the same year, moved into a new mm-hmm. apartment, and got two dogs. So it's been a really big year uh, for Bailey. And the same year, Brooklyn, the other sister, moved to Utah. She started dating a guy that I think we like originally thought was maybe 23 or something, but it turns out he's like 27. Um, And the reason that we thought he was younger was because he was featured in a series they did last year called 10 Dates in 10 Days, where Brooklyn went on 10 Dates in 10 Days. She actually started dating a different guy from the series who very confusingly, his name was Brooks, um, and her name is Brooklyn. (laughs) But now she is dating Dakota. They've reconnected, and it seems to be going really well. She's also started esthetician school, and this is apparently in prep for a new project that the twins have on the way. So as you can see, the world of Brooklyn and Bailey is extremely complex, but it's one that has been very exciting to us this year. And we're recording this a little early, but like who knows with these girls before the end of the year, they could have even more news. Um, I don't know, Micah, did you see uh, Bailey's Instagram stories the other day where somebody asked if Brooklyn will be married by the end of 2022 and she like just gave kind of like mm, eyes? I did not, but that well, is wild. Yeah. So who knows? what uh, news you will have post-Christmas. But for me, Brooklyn and Bailey have been a joy to follow in 2021. And there are my three pop culture moments. Alrighty then. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode. And a year of different things can be sad. Dust. We will be uh, back in January at the end of the month to give you a little lowdown on everything that's happened that month. It feels like, especially after recapping that politics section, Micah, it feels like who knows what could happen in those few days, you know? Yes. We'll see. Hopefully good things. I feel like when we started this, we were so young and naive, and it was like, (laughs) what, like, random event should we choose? And now it's like, what cataclysmic thing happened in the last 30 days? Like, which one of the cataclysmic events should we choose from? Yes. We live in a weird time. We really we do. In a weird time. But we're excited for you to join us in that weird time in 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and for now, bye. Bye.